Anything combat with Johnny K. But it's anything combat though. Welcome back, combatants, to the Anything Combat Show, where we discuss everything mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Johnny K, and today we're joined by a bantamweight who won one championship. He's from, he's, I think you're Northern Irish, Northern Ireland, I don't know how, how to say that, and you're Australian. Um, please welcome uh, Alan, the apprentice, Bill Pot. How are you doing today, Alan? Yeah, good, good. We've actually changed that name. That's the second podcast I've had this week, and the name's Super Alley now. The Apprentice was back in the day, and so it's Alan Super why, Alley. Why so, did you change it? Yeah, funny. So I was just I was doing a bit of mental coaching with Dave Naive from New Zealand. He's um, the same mental coach for Israel Adesanya and all the CKB boys, and we were just chatting in general and like talking about how my career was and the old ways of stuff and it was just like no time to reinvent myself and then he was explaining how we need something like to have like an alter ego um for his for example you got israel adesanya when he fights he's style bender but whenever he's not fighting he's israel you know so like my family and friends for years have sung the song like super alley whenever i fight um so we just no i just he asked that i have a nickname as such and then i explained that they sing that song super alley and he had a Superman t-shirt on at the same time, and it was just like, we ended up just going with that. How'd you meet Joshua Kulibar now in the UFC? So we were training at uh, Gem Out West in Sydney together, Australian top team, and, well, he was obviously from Igor, and he was out there getting extra rounds. I just arrived to Sydney, and I was just like, sort of travelling all around. Um, I didn't really have a team as such. Uh, so I was out there and we were training him and we just no we got we got on pretty well and he was my hardest round and no and I was his and we both were living closer together so we just started training closer and then before when COVID happened the first time the gym I was coaching at was threatening to shut down and no I also needed a coach myself so I decided to join Igor and stayed there for a while um before things didn't really work out there, so I had to leave. But me and Josh, you know, we still train together daily. Uh, we, our striking coach, Johnny Barra Benavides at Legends Gym. And then, obviously, you know, Josh corners me, I corner him. So have you cornered him in the UFC? Josh's last two, three? Three, his last three, and... Uh, two previous I haven't been able to because um, of COVID I wasn't able to leave the country Dude they haven't given him any favours with his opponents, they gave him undefeated Lerone Murphy and they also gave him Jalen Turner who's a beast so what do you think about that? Nah like, no, do what? I don't feel like well Jalen Turner was a big shout bro like he wasn't even, no he, he took it on like what like nine days notice the weight class above no, there was the eight people who turned that fight down previous at lightweight. No, Josh is a featherweight. It was just his way of getting into the UFC. Um, you know, Lerone, I don't feel that that was out of his league at all. Josh is definitely that level. Um, no, the the camp leading up to it, I think we no the approach was wrong, and no, there was just a few things like he was going to be a dad. It was his first time fighting away. No, it was for the top 15 spot. And no, I think the pressure got to him a lot more than he realised, like, deep down subconsciously. And, you know, 
but like the level wise, no, he's definitely he's definitely up there. And like he he showed even in the fight that he didn't win, but he was never really in much danger apart from the body kick. But he was there the whole time, and no, I still believe that he didn't perform the best that he could have. Do you think Josh, if they give him like that? top 15 to top 10 opponent do you think that he can get it done what do you think the future of his career is going to look like yeah 100 percent. i think josh can go all the way like no josh josh could be go to any gym josh is one of them fighters that no matter where he would have been he would have shined like he's he's got that natural fight ability um you know like we're talking recently no now he's realized that he needs to add more to his camp and get like more higher level training partners and he's looking at going overseas, the likes of the Kilcliffe and Extreme Couture and all them places to you know, try and add a wee bit more to him and, and experience that different level because like then the, he's he's the big fish in his gym and like as much as you get good training you he's not getting challenged as much and you no know, he's not fighting on a local circuit anymore. The start of his UFC he's touching on the the highest point of it in the top fifteen. Like I say, you know, his last fight was for a top 15 spot and he, he showed that he can handle it and he, he can be there. He just needs to tweak a few things, I personally think. Two people that I've had on the show, friends of the show, Martin Nguyen and Renato Subotic. Yeah. Uh, I saw that you were affiliated with them with Koulibau. So what's the we story were, We behind? were never affiliated. We were never affiliated. We, we trained together, but we, we were never affiliated with them at all. Like, you know, that's... Like Martin, you know, we trained him over the years, but um, and Renato, you know, same time I had no coach at a stage. I was just training all over, and Renato helped me out with uh, cornering one of my one fights before. But yeah, we were never affiliated, affiliated or fought under the his brand or anything like that. I see. So was it a separate team? Yeah, yeah. Josh has always been Igor in me, and I was um, at the time legends because I had no coach. I was co- I was the main coach. So I was just going travelling between their Australian top team, Central Coast, you know, which I was just training all over trying to get sparring rounds and spar uh training partners. Dude, you've kind of fought all over the place. I've I've looked at your topology. I saw that you've fought in like a million different promotions. Uh, this is an interesting question. What was your favourite one to fight under? You know what, bro? My favorite fight still to this day was um, UXC in Belfast. Um, you know, fighting at home hits different, but this one in particular, you know, my, it was my coach Rodney Moore. It was his last fight on the on that car. We had maybe had about seven other team members. Um, you know, I I fought a legend of Irish MMA and top. He was actually number three in Europe at one stage. Steve McComb. He was the the, the man of the lightweights coming from Ireland as I was coming up, so that was a big win for me too, to take that status off him. Um, you know, the crowd that was there was phenomenal. Like, my whole town, where I'm from, Balamina, it emptied and everyone was at that show. You know, I had a lot of, I've got a lot of friends from other places in Northern Ireland and, you know, the, the crowd was electric, the performance was great. It was just, that, that still to this day is my favourite fight. Are Northern Ireland people and Irish people, do they just not like each other? Nah, that's bullshit, bro. That's just, you get the small, bigoted people, like the small-minded people who don't, like, 
they don't even understand the, the dividings and they just do it just because. But, um, you know, the people that are living there that are woke up to the dividings that's been created by these elites and these people above, you know, they realise that that's all it is. It's just other people dividing us and, you know, it's it's not the way it should be. It's just, um, unfortunately, you've still got them small-minded people that do it just because. There's some people coming out of Northern Ireland and Ireland that have, like, really good talent in MMA. We saw Reese yeah. McKee. He's still very good. He's still on the come up. Who do you see right now that people don't really know about that you can shine a light on in that region that's, uh, like, doing well? I think you said there's, most, there's a lot there. You've got Reese McKee. And he's from the same gym as me back home. Um, you've also got Paul Hughes is from Fight Academy Ireland and Reese trains out of Fight Academy Ireland and Next Gen Northern Ireland. No, Paul Hughes, I believe, is one of the biggest prospects in the world. Um, he's just, you no, know, some people just have that extra X factors, you would say, and he's got it. Like, he could be as big a star as McGregor, or even possibly bigger, because he's more. he's got more skull, skills than McGregor did at that stage. No, he's more well-rounded. He's got the striking, the grappling, and the wrestling. You know, um, so, I'm not, like, obviously, a lot of people will know him. You've got a lot more builders honestly there's so much talent coming through it's very hard to get started um you know yeah i don't even know where to start because they right from amateurs right through to pros you've got got big names so Reese fought hamza chamayev and dude that's not a bad loss at all hamza's seriously undefeated so he's taking on kamara usman what do you think about that match no, it's, it's, it's great, it's mad, like, no, but the thing is, no, Kamar Usman coming in in short notice, he's done it before against Masvidal, um, the likes of that level, obviously, he's he's ready, he's not coming in not ready, if he wouldn't, like, I don't see, he would put himself in that risk if he didn't think he could do it, or didn't feel that he could do it, um, but I think, no, I think Cam's out will knock him out, to be honest. Do you think like round one ground a pound or do you just think just standing on the feet? Nah, I think he catches him on the feet. No, I think maybe a bit second, third round, I think he catches him on the feet. An interesting thing that I was looking at at that match was just the jiu-jitsu exchanges. So I don't think Kamara Usman's jiu-jitsu is that good. I think that most of his grappling exchanges where he's dominant in dominant positions comes from his wrestling. Yeah. So what do you think about the the submission grappling between the two? Do you think that if they get in their next exchange, Hamza can submit them? I think it'd be hard. I think it, you know, I think if they were to if it was the the wrestling grappling match, I think it would be a lot a, a lot of canceling each other out. Um, you know, I don't see any of them submitting each other to be honest. Uh, I think no, like I say, it'd be meeting fire with fire. They're both exceptional wrestlers. And like you said, the wrestling sets up their submissions more than their jiu-jitsu. You know, so it's like the Khabib type style, they wrestle, fuck people, and then work on a choke or something. But nah, I think if it turns into a wrestling match, it'll be like a three-round, just boring, canceling each other out. Which gym was it that you uh, worked with Reese McKee? It's called Next Generation Northern Ireland. I see. When did you start there? When I was, that's where I started when I was 15 years old. And when, then, you, when you were 15, when did you leave? Uh, 
So I've never I've never left them. I, I still represent them in a fight. And my coach Rodney, whenever I make it to that big stage and you know, I can get him in the corner, he'll be back in that corner as well. Um but fuck, I'm, I've been in Australia six years. It must have been about maybe seven, eight years ago I moved to Liverpool, England. I trained under Dean Garnett and Phil Turner at Aspire Combat Sports Academy. And then I came out to Australia to fight on ACB and then a holiday and I just never left. I was like, I want to stay here. I saw on your Instagram about freestyle fighting, that particular gym. I don't know what the name is, but you were with Volkanovski. When did that happen? So it was the Max Holloway 2 camp when COVID was here. Um, we all, there was a few of us, myself, Josh, Jamie Malarkey, Blake Donnelly. Um, we went down, stayed down in Windang where Alex is from and helped them prepare for that. Um, yeah, that was that was a good experience, good camp. That's when uh, I realised like, you know, the difference between the highest of levels, like the work ethic and the mindset. That was that was a mad awakening then. I think when you break down fights, you look at the logical path and then you look at the MMA path, which is just, you know, the most unpredictable shit can happen. So yeah. when you see Islam Makachev and Volkanovski now in the rematch, the easiest pick, the easiest pleb pick that you can make is that Islam either knocks him out or or beats him again, right? Because it's the easiest pick to make because yeah. it's short notice out of uh out of camp but guess what i personally think that because volkanovsky is consistently training and he's never not training i think that he just wants it more i know that's an illogical thing to say but i feel like volkanovsky wins by knockout and and i might look like an idiot saying it now but when it happens everyone's going to be like oh well maybe it wasn't the dumbest uh thing yeah. to pick. how do you think the fight goes Honestly, mate, this one, this this one, I feel is harder to call. Um, like I say, Alex is a different breed. Again, he's like, no, he is different to anybody I've ever trained with. Um, no, I, and again, he's all even though he just came, the only thing is he's just came off surgery and you know, he had a little baby and stuff recently. So no, that that will have an effect. But the same thing, bro. These boys don't take fights like not ready to go. Do you know what I mean? Like. Even at their, no, they're maybe not at their peak where they would be done a camp, but you know they're obviously in a position where they feel that they can go out there and, and do it, or they wouldn't do it at the end of the day. Like they're putting, they're not just, they're putting their career on the line, they're putting their bodies on the line, you know. So it's a hard one to call. Like no, I don't think Islam will overlook him this time, and I think last time he overlooked him, but at the same time, Volkanovski also maybe overestimated it last time so it's like they, they know what's coming this fight but um it would be amazing to see alex do it like to be honest do you think volkanovsky is not scared of the wrestling nah. component of the match anymore uh, he's not scared bro i don't even think he was scared the first time i think he was just a wee bit more cautious no um because like if you look at all his last if you look at his last um fights and stuff they were they like no, he, he absolutely dominates everyone. Where it would be silly to overlook him. Where now you know, he he's felt that himself. He knows what to expect, and like he's got a solid team around him, and he's got like high level wrestlers and jujitsu people in there now. So yeah, it's, it'd be interesting. It's definitely an interesting, exciting one. <clears throat>
in the event that he does win, where do you have him on like the top 10 best fighters list? I know Tapology has him around number like eight or nine right now or something like that. Whatever like, or? Yeah, yeah, out of, out of every fighter to ever live, right? And they base it just off accomplishment. I think, I think not to go too crazy, I think you can bump him up to number six. I think that's just a logical thing Bro, to do. Bro, like, he's, like, he's, he's even higher up there. Like, he could easily be the greatest of all time. Like, how? How, how could he not? Explain how not. Like, well, you've got John Jones, who's been popped five times for steroids. He can't be in the, he can't be in the call. He's like, he's fucked his legacy. He shouldn't even be in the mix because he's been caught more than once. Oh, you got Anderson Silva. Yeah, he was a good striker and all that, but this is MMA, not kickboxing. I mean, he's also been exposed. No. Um, Alex has fought and been champion over three weights. He's beat the great, like the legends of the sport on his weight. No, I mean, Demetrius Johnson, George St. Pierre. No, them three for me is probably up there of the greatest of all time. I think that uh, the fact that they have Khabib up there is just fucking stupid. Nah, well, Khabib too, bro. Like, I know the only difference, the only thing about Khabib is that he, he seemed to be a bit smarter about his career. Um, maybe not the greatest of all time because he didn't really step outside the box. You know, like, same as, you no know, McGregor too. No, I can't call him the greatest of all time. For my top three would be... Volganovsky, GSP, and Demetrius Johnson. In the order, I'm not too sure. I think the only problem with having Volk that high is that there's it's a problem to do with the volume. You know what I mean? Because if if someone like GSP and Demetrius are getting plus ten championships each, right? Yeah. And Volk has six. I know that's not how MMA works. It's just the fact that. It ha- it also has to do with um, the volume of championship fights and how many defenses you can get. You can get like like think about it. Usman and Volk have the same titles, right? But but Volk also same amount of titles. But Volk also beat Chad Mendes and Aldo outside of championship uh, fights. Yeah, so exactly. I completely I completely understand that, but. It's just a very difficult one. I think I think if he defends the lightweight belt a couple times, maybe against an Oliveira and a Gaethje, I think then you make a s- severe case for him to be top two, top one, whatever whatever you want to place him at. I think that's what he has to do. Do you disagree? Um, slightly. Like, like I say, bro, I, I see it differently. I don't see it just being the title too. I put, take it all into perspective, no... The things he's done, accomplished more. The UFC is not the be all and end all. Do you know what I mean? It's yes, yeah, it's, it's the top, but it's only the top because it's more mainstream. But it, when you think about it, there's other top promotions, um, with tougher fights and stuff. I'm just counting Alex's like overall credentials. Do you know what I mean? He's fought a welterweight. He's been the champion. He's fought a featherweight champion. He's beat the best of the best at featherweights. No, he's now stepping up the lightweights. He's he's challenging. The, the champion and giving them a very hard fight. No, if he goes out there and beats Islam this time, like it's hard not to call him it. Like, oh, it's like, but it also, bro, there's a lot. There's there's been that many fights. There's a lot of fighters are better in their own way as well. It is a hard one to call. Like to be honest, MMA's it's not like boxing and stuff. It is a lot different. You've got many different aspects and 
you know, it's, it's definitely not as easy to pick out the goat, I reckon. There's arguments for all them talk guys. Like, I mean, you've got fucking way back in the day, you know, you had Gracie smoking everybody. I think I think there's that, yes. There's Gracie uh, being good. There was Fedor Milinenko. Like, well, I look understand, at Hicks and Gracie. Hicks and Gracie, Hicks and Gracie never lost a fight. Really? What was his record? I'm sure it was like 25 and 0 or something like that. Maybe more. Let me fact check that real quick. Yeah, I'm, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, I'm near sure Hicks and Gracie didn't lose a fight. There was something. There was something else as well that recently seen, and it made me think. And you got a lot of fighters. It says, it says his pro pro MMA record was nine and zero. Like I yeah, understand. What's that on like topology or something? Yes. Yeah, so that's the only topology. I mean, how many, like, where he's coming from fights all over the world, over in Brazil and everything, like, fights that went on for hours, you know, like, thing. that's only topology. That's only the record that's been recorded, do you know what I mean? There's a lot, that's, again, do you know what I mean? We all just go off that. It's not It's not the right thing because he's got all our accomplishments that aren't out there, do you know what I'm saying? Totally. If you were saying that the UFC is not the be-all, end-all, and in one championship you've got Demetrius Johnson destroying it, and yeah. he might have a couple more defenses, wouldn't the um, wouldn't the MMA community think that if Demetrius is probably the single best flyweight on the planet right now, like I don't I don't see a reality that the top three in the UFC even remotely beat him if he came back. No. Don't you think that Demetrius would have made a case for himself to be uh, number one on that list? Yeah, so that's what I said. Like him, George St. Pierre and Folk for me are the top three. You know, it's like, no, it's just, again, it's just hard. You know I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to pinpoint it exactly. I want to ask you about an Irish fighter, Ian Gary. So he seems like he's a little bit cringe. Can we agree that he's a little bit cringe? Yeah, fact. 100%. But that's what you have to do these days. I mean, like you say, the UFC is not only have they just bought like WWE or whatever, but they're actually, the fighters are having to be more WWE these days. I mean, it's, it's coming away from the martial arts and combat sports side and becoming more of an entertainment business. It's just like a real life, do you know what I mean? Which, and that's that's what people want to see. But so, like, people sit and complain and be cringy and stuff. But at the end of the day, that's what the community outside of the fighters, this is what they want. This is what people want to watch on TV. They don't want to watch proper, true fighters be respectful. Like, at the end of the day, bro, you've got, for example, you've got Phil Winoski walking down the road. There's a lot of people who wouldn't know who he is. You've got Conor McGregor walking down the road. Everyone knows who he is. Do you know what I mean? For what? They all make Connor's known for a lot of things, good and bad. Boganowski's done nothing but good and accomplished so much. Do you know what I mean? That's just an example. Do you know what I mean? Like, Bob, Terrence Crawford, imagine Terrence Crawford walking down the road. Totally. So, yeah. the point I was... Yeah, definitely. The point I was making about Ian, though, is that he's undefeated and different fighters have different... Um, goals that they're trying to achieve some fighters want to fight for the sake of fighting they just like fighting and they'll have whatever record right some fighters want to defend the belt a million times now he hasn't really specified what his goal is but he did say that he wants to beat every single contender like from the top 10 like 
like beat yeah. the beat like number 10, 7, 5, 3, 2, 1, right? And then the champion. And then I think he wants to either retire or defend it a couple times. Do you think that he can get away with this? Do you think that the wrestler will stop him? I don't know, but we've never we've never seen him in any danger so far, so it's hard it's hard to call that. He's definitely a talented young fighter coming through. Um, you know, he's he's backing up what he says, and like that performance against Neil Magny was immaculate. You know, I mean, it was like flawless. There was not a, didn't miss a beat, didn't even get hit. Like Neil Magny's, he's not in his bench. He's not like he's world champion, but he's a tough fighter. He's been there a long time, and you know, maybe he's on coming on the other side of his career, but he's still there. But you know, I mean, it's not it's not like he's just getting in there against a bomb at the end of the day. So. It's a, again, it just like it's a hard one to call because no one's ever seen what his wrestling and jiu-jitsu is actually like. So, just because his striking is very, very high level, like he's he's definitely got got what it takes to get up there around the top. The only problem I see with that is that Neil Magny's not the best striker. Would you not agree? He's all right, bro. He's still he's still dangerous enough. You know what I mean? He can still catch people. I mean, he is a good. He's he's good at mixing up and getting close to people, and he couldn't do that to Ian Gary. Like, I wanna, I wanna see what happens when he's fighting someone like a Gilbert Burns or a Colby Covington, or even yeah, I know. Yeah, I'd be definitely interested to see. Do you know I mean? Like, definitely, definitely interested to see. You know how how he can handle that type of top level grappling pressure, but um, do you know? He's still very young and early in his career as well. Like I don't think there's any rush for him to go straight to them guys as well. Oh, excuse me. But um, I think you no. Know, if he does take his time, that he could potentially be the champ. Are you half Australian and half Northern Ireland? No, nah, no. Nah, I only lived here for the last six years. So your 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 nationality is Northern Irish. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I'm from Northern Ireland. Okay. Let me ask you about everyone's favorite, Connor, right? Let's talk about McGregor. So do you think that now that he has a fucking titanium shin bone and he's taking roids, do you think that mm. he'll come back and be better? I, I can't. I don't know, bro. He's been away for a long time. You know, who knows what's really going on? The media only shows so much. You know, he's definitely, he, his body is definitely going to be a little bit more primed. Like that rest. And then also with all the top supplements in the world, like I don't think like there's no proof he's been on steroids or whatever. But let's face it, bro, he's fucking, he's definitely been juicing like the whole the whole way ever the way everything's been going. And that is like it's a shambles. But it'd be interesting to see, bro. Hundred percent. Like I'm only thirty one now, bro. I haven't even reached that level. My body's starting to shut down a bit, so I can't imagine how they you no. Know, I'm still starting to shut down. I'm still able to perform at some of the best I can. So imagine when your body's firing from all cylinders. Do you know what I mean? How long do you think you'll compete for, seeing that you're 31? Yeah, I want to. I want to get out of the game in the next five or six years. To be honest, bro, I don't want to be fighting forever. Um, do you know, like that's. I think that's just why. As much as I'm hitting my peak, as much as I'm enjoying these last few years, because I know now. I've. I know now. Like no. When I was younger and I was like, getting there, getting there, getting there, and it sort of distracted me a bit, and then I wasn't sure, like, oh, I needed to get there to get money to set up a future and stuff, where now I'm like, I want to just fight for fun, I want to get the highest level possible, you know, collect a few titles locally and internationally.
be and you know, make a good run for it. And then after that, bro, fucking, I want to go and start my own gyms. Like, I want to, you know, I want a family. I want to live life a bit as well. Um, get financially stable and set up the next chapter of my life. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, yeah. So I'm making five, six years I've got left in me. What would be the preferred promotion for you to go to? I saw that you already competed P- P- in one championship. P- PFL, and you did well. P- yeah, PFL is where I'm looking. That's that's I like the whole system. I like the way they are. And I'm, I've been listening to people that are signed there and contracts and stuff. And no, PFL is definitely where I, I'm looking to go to. Not what saying like, I'm not saying I want that over anyone as such. Like no, obviously if the UFC came in with a better offer, I'll go there. But I've also seen how the UFC work on that and. Like I say, I, I want a good active five, six years. I don't want to be having a fight a year or two fights a year, not knowing when I'm going to fight again. And, you know, it's like that that whole not knowing. And it's, it's, it's not good for a fighter. Like, it's hard for fighters to just keep on track. And, like, at the end of the day, we need to try and have a future and, and, and get by as well. And how are you meant to get by if you're only fighting once a year and, like, you get taxed so much and that? It's not, it's not ideal, like. What do you think the ideal split in like a year for a fighter is? I think, you no, know, if you could get, depending on, on the body, bro, if the body can hold up and you're able to, you should be fighting like four or five times a year. I mean, That's what got, Kevin Holland's been doing recently. 100%, bro. At the end of the day, we're fighters, we train to fight. The only bad thing about that is it's like you don't get the skill level up, but, you know, no, you, you blast out maybe, maybe four or five, four good fights a year. No, get little breaks in between. Get two, two back to back. Have a break. Skill level up. Two back to back. No, just keep doing it that way. That's ideal. Like you know, for me, that's what I've done this time. I, I've got had the last eternal fight, back to back straight in there. Now this one, um, depending what happens. No, I know PFL coming to Dublin December. They're looking at a lot of Irish fighters. If they come in and give me an opportunity, I'm going to take that, of course, because it's not an opportunity to fight at home plus. It's on the biggest one of the biggest stages in the world, and I believe that if it comes, it's meant to be. Um, if it doesn't, that's good. It gives me time for February till I get the title fight on Eternal. So, you know, that's that's just my way of doing things. I believe, you no, know, these people that do a camp have a fight and then take months off and and they let themselves go and don't fight for more uh, more than half a year and stuff. They, what's the point of holding yourself back? Like, no, unless. No, unless you're just doing it for a bit of fun, you only want a fight, one fight here or there. That's fine. But if you want to do it as a career, you should be active. You should be getting out there, testing yourself. What weight classes have you competed in? Fuck, bro, I've competed from flyweight when I was young amateur right up until like seventy two kilo. That's the highest I've fought. So you would have done flyweight, bantamweight, featherweight, featherweight and, and what lightweight? Like light, lightweight, and then you can even say light. Like fucking well, they're really because seventy two is above lightweight. So, so if you if you did seventy two, does that mean that you fought a one seventy fight, like seventy seven kilo? Or no, nah, it was no. just a seventy two catch weight kickboxing fight. I see. So you fought kickboxing. I saw the clip of you fighting. What yeah. other combat but, sports have you competed in? So I've done boxing, taekwondo, jiu-jitsu, um, MMA. And kickboxing. How many total fights is that? Bro, I've had 
Oh, fuck on me. I've got like 53 MMA fights, five kickboxing fights, two pro jets fights, loads of jets comps, loads of boxing, amateur boxing fights, taekwondo tournaments. So I'd say I'd be hitting fuck, 80 to 100 competitions in total. Like. Do you think that's contributed to like the. Uh, oh, 100%. Definitely. Definitely. It's helped, it's helped all me and giving. It's, def- it's definitely helped me get to where I'm at and experience different things and the competition side. Also, I've been too active at times as well. Like the first two years of my amateur career, I had 17 amateur fights. That was a lot of fight preparation and not skill leveling up as well. Um, so there is a downside to being too active as well. Like I said, it's finding that balance of being active, having time to level up and being active again. So benefits and negatives to both being so active and not being active. How many amateur fights did you have in the one year, did you say? So in the first... Amateur fights did you have in the one year, did you say? So I the fir- in the first two years, uh, amateur, I had 17, and then I went pro at 18. So from 16 to 18, I had 17 amateur fights. One of them, I went to America and Chicago and fought for Ireland. Um, uh, and then at 18... I went pro, but it was different back then. Our, our amateur had no ground and pound, and the rules were like so: D class, which was no headshots; C class, which was our amateur, was uh, punch and kick into the head, standing sometimes knees, depending on the show, and no ground and pound. And then it was pro B, which was uh, four minute rounds, four rounds gloves, ground and pound, but no elbows. And then pro A, which was everything. And I went from 17 amateurs, free pro B, and then pro A. Should they incorporate that system more often in, like, Russia? I, I honestly, I, I, I like it, bro. I think it's a very, especially from the amateur to the pro, I think it's um, a massive, a massive jump going from three minutes to five minutes, exactly, you know, elbows. Um, the only difference is the amateur nowadays have ground and pound. I would like to see amateur pull back a little bit, take away ground and pound, and make them wear shin guards. It means they can fight. They can fight every week more often, like sparring. Do you know what I mean? That's what amateur's about, is beginning experience. Um, and then, you know, when they are ready to take the next step, they do that pro B, which is the three, four-minute rounds, ground and pound, take away the shin guards, no elbows, and then get used to the, like, the, different, the longer rounds. And then, when they're ready, go up into the pro way. That's personally how I would like to think. If they did that pro B, do you think that they should make like an Olympic MMA division? So your it doesn't go to your professional record. You can represent your country in the Olympics and then whoever wins that, they're a big prospect and everyone has a big hoo-ha about like a young up-and-coming fighter. Yeah, well, that would be, that would be, I think if they were to do that, it would be like the IMAFs and the amateur tournaments at the minute where no knees to the head, shin guards, but they're like ground and pound, and that's fine. I agree with that for that level. And um, maybe even have like so you could have the novice they've got the no headshots and then the novice level, which is no ground and pound. You bring in the more advanced, which is still shin guards but ground and pound, then the pro B with no shin guards, smaller gloves, and then pro A, you know, like there's the end of the day it should be with fighter safety and these promotions and you know, fighters these days they, they just want to go straight in they, 
the big and, and make it look good, which is fine. I get that, but you know, I I think it should be a little bit more safer and there should be more guidelines. Um, grassroots level, like I started a couple of years ago, I started an MMA league, which was no headshots at all. Um, was basically the D class, and it was going well, very good. You know, the aim was to get to give people experience. So it's not ready for the cages, but get them in there. They work on you know some they gain some experience in competition. Um, and then a lot of amateur uh, people actually went amateur from that, so that was the aim. But um, after that, the you know, first year, like you no, know, there wasn't much interest in it from people. They just wanted to get straight into the cage, and coaches just wanted them straight in the cage, and they also it's hard whenever not everyone's on the same path or same level. Don't you think that would put too much damage on people? Like if there's no headshots, like even just the body shots and the leg strikes, don't you think they would accumulate too much damage? Nah, because then it gets them in there. They, they, you're not going to stop somebody really with body punches and, and kicks at that level. But it's more about getting in, get them to throw and get them to take down and work for a submission finished. You know, that's that's the name of the ideally. That's how you finish people most is the submission game. But also you're you're wearing big big MMA sparring gloves and you're wearing shin guards and there's no head trauma whatsoever. You know what I mean? Every week you spar, you spar with head shots, shin guards and stuff and you're, you know you you do build up a tol- uh, a tolerance and you can take a lot more leg kicks and stuff the more you do condition it but head trauma you can't condition the head do you think there should be MMA Olympics uh, yeah 100% nowadays bro definitely like no why not there's everything else MMA is a mix of all the other sports put together do you think what country do you think would win that most uh most often like it's it's hard to look like, past them Dagestanis and and Russians and stuff anyway bro because even like you go to the IMAFs and and all that they they are the one ruling it and again it's the the it's from a young age they're they're doing wrestling and all them types of sports um and also you know like they're dominating all over the world you know what I mean like what they do so I fought a Russian bro and I've never been wrestled like that in my life. Like, well, he was actually, I think he was from Chechnya, but, you know, like, I'd done everything to defend, I got back up, I had him in submissions, and, you know, just his relentlessness, so I never felt anything like it in my life. An interesting thing is that in the 2000 Sydney Olympics, you had Yol Romero winning silver medal, right? Mm-hmm. And he went into MMA at 33 or 34, but he won the silver medal at 23, what do you think would have happened if he, at 23, after getting the medal, stopped wrestling completely and just entered into MMA? During this time, if he if he entered into MMA, he would have had to go through the Anderson Silva era. He would have had to go into Chris Weidman, and then after that, Robert Whittaker, which is which gives him, thing that he retired like now basically, and he's 46. That gives him 23 years of MMA. What do you think about that? It, again, it depends on the athlete, bro. Like everyone hits peaks at different times. Like, look, Glover takes era. Oh, he only won the UFC title of what forty two or something. Now he's been doing MMA for many years, like twenty odd years. Oh, he got into it late. Like I'm sure it was like late twenties or something. He got into it, and then it took him like twenty odd years to get there. And then you've got like John Jones, who won the title twenty one. So it depends on the individual, to be honest, bro. Um. Like me, I've been doing this a long time. I'm 31 now, bro. I started when I was like 15. And I feel like I'm only hitting my peak now. Do you know what I mean? And I've seen younger fighters, like 
hit their, like you say, like the Paul Hughes and Reese McKee and stuff, they're further on than me. I was pro the main man when they were in the amateur scene. I was Reese McKee's one of his first coaches. You know, now they're further on than me. I've I've had this I'm I feel like I'm only coming into that level now where they've already hit it a little bit earlier. And don't get me wrong, I still feel they've still got another ten years before they hit a next level, but again, that they they everyone's a little bit different. Do you think that you might need to switch some new things around, like maybe travel to a different camp internationally? This is what this is what I've done after after I came back from Josh's fight. I moved camps. I've uh, worked on not just the sports psychology mental side, but working on my own like inner child and you know stuff that I've been going through in the past, like trying to figure out myself a little bit more. And that's what I'm saying. I feel like I'm a lot more peace now. I know myself as well, and that was the biggest turnaround for me. And that last performance showed it. Would you go to Thailand? I would love to go to all them places and uh, train, bro, for the experience. Definitely, you know, that's it's all on the cards. You know, like I say, a lot of the problem was like my routine, my financial stats, but it was also the habits I had and the things I was doing. Like was holding me back from being able to go to them places and chat, uh, train. You know, I've got contacts all over the world that that would love to have me there, and I'd love to go there and. You no, know, like my plan is the next year to go to Extreme Couture because Eric Nixick, he was actually at my fight in Eternal, and after the fight we got chatting and he was impressed and he invited me. Like he said, he you know the common dream whenever I'm there and you no, know, I know people over that way and I've never been to Vegas, so you no, know, I'm like fuck. This is a mad opportunity. You know, it's a good way to connect, learn from some of the best in the world, get the mix up. So like, you no, know, I've got lot. I've got friends that go to Kelcliff. No, so that's another one. Thailand, I would love to go to, because I love like my nature and scenery as much as the training. I love whenever I'm not training, like to go and get away from all the craziness and madness. And you know, Thailand's beautiful, and even the Philippines and stuff. I love to get to try and team Lakai. You know, all them places, all the all where all the top fighters come. I'd love to go and and try and train there because. I want to see what they're doing, what I'm not doing. Do you know what I mean? And that was, like I say, the biggest thing for Alex, going to Alex Volonovsky's camp was, yeah, the skill set, of course, but it was like the work ethic and the mindset and to, to realise that he goes through the same as what we go through, but it's just nothing phases him. He knows where he needs to get to. So that was a really interesting thing that you brought up that Nick Segg said to you that he was really impressed with your performance. So when I was looking at your topology, I saw that your record, to be honest, it's it's there's some stop starty yeah. parts in there. You know what I mean? So yeah. what would you put that what would you put that down to? Because here's the thing, right? If Nick Segg's saying that your skill level's there, there's a lot of fighters where their skill is much superior to their record. Yeah, so what would you put that down to? My the, me, myself, my impatientness, my uh like no lack of discipline over the years you no know, like I'll, I'll take full responsibility for all my losses you no know, but there's not a loss on there that i couldn't beat and like i spoke to my coach rodney from ireland uh it was a couple of years ago we were just chatting in general and i was like fuck maybe i shouldn't have took these fights and he's like but we never took a fight that i couldn't win no i've also took top level opponents on short notice and won like no like one time I went to Poland and three weeks notice I got offered a fight, never been to Poland, but fuck it, good experience. Find out he was the Polish number one, great, great fighter, and I absolutely dismantled him. And I only found the video, it's not online, I've got actually like phone footage of it, I'm going to post here in the next day or two. And you'll see, I absolutely 
pieced this fella apart. And he was the Polish number one. And still to this day, no one's beat him at MMA. He's had a loss of like a boxing fight or something since me. You know what I mean? And, and, and then they fought the Japanese number one at the time. But that, that didn't go too well. But the same thing, I was like, it was never like I skilled or I beaten by these boys. It's, I've made mistakes in them fights and it's been the mental side of it. And it's not that I'm negative or don't believe in myself because I definitely do. Maybe the last couple of years, my confidence dropped in my grapple because I have been put in bad positions and fights and it's like sort of switched off. Where now I know that's something I really addressed and worked on. But um, yeah, so that that's what I put it down to, bro. It's never, like me and Josh have said, it's never been a skill issue. It's always been something inside the head. And I really feel like I'm tapping into that and working on that. What do you think about, you just brought up Japanese, what do you think about Ryzen, the promotion? Would you go there? I mean, I'd go anywhere. Like, I'd fight anywhere for anyone. The right, like I say, now it's about the right fights because, like I say, I only have so so long left. Like I, These are the best years of my life. I feel like these are the peak years for me, the years where I can really go and do something, get to that step further, make a little bit more money than I have been in, you know. So for me, it's just like whatever's going to, push me in the right direction the only thing about japan is it's like it doesn't it's like you're not gonna i'm not gonna be as big a star because you know not like probably no one back home would even know who Ryzen is hardly do i mean except for the people who are really involved in it do i mean but you no know, pfl's growing it's all over the world like i'm not saying no to anyone but to sign like i, like I say i'm an eternal now and no i want to clean up here and then go to the next stage i don't want to be traveling all over these doing single fights all over unless it's really going to benefit me what's your bench press pr fuck i haven't even benched in a long time bro but the like the most of the done was 85 or something i saw on instagram something about compound grappling i don't know if that's the right way you say it how have they helped you yeah i'm not they don't i'm not to do them i was teaching a little class there that was all but it was not I'm a Lions Den now. I'm a Lions Den Academy in Sydney. That's where I do all my MMA. And I strike under Johnny Barrett Benavides. And before that, no, I was at Igor MMA with Josh for a couple of years. And then things weren't working out. I needed to change. Like, say, I needed a higher, higher level training and pushed in the way that I wasn't getting pushed. So I made the jump to Lions Den. And, you know, I feel like I finally found a team in a home like I used to have back home in Ireland. How did you get involved with Compound to teach there for a little bit? I just had some friends that was training and they owned the gym and I live in Bondi and the gym's in Bondi and I needed a space to teach my own PTs and then like no they they needed a little hand doing classes and so just was doing a few morning classes in there and then they had they switched owners and stuff and uh, I got a different space to do my PTs which was more closer to my house which was easier and convenient um, like I said I changed gyms to Lions Den and stuff so my whole schedule's had to change because it's like 50 minutes away from my house so I have to make sure that everyone's like I'm only coaching now just to get by just the fight like the, the fight is number one but before it was maybe that was another problem it was like I was the one helping everybody else I was doing a lot of coaching and no, it takes up a lot of energy and distracts me from my own training. And when I was going into training, I was like half-hearted there, basically, and half mentally just drained. So now I've pulled away back. I've got my own little team, the Cocoon fight team, 
and you know that's at grassroots level that's like tournament level match sports like the no headshot mma the light kickboxing you know and it's great because it's fun i've got boys there that are they're not looking to pursue a massive career but they're taking it serious and i also my classes i've done at the weekends and times where they can still go to their other gyms and train and i still get to train my full time but i still get to coach because i do love coaching too but now it's selective so whoever i I, I coach us because I want to coach them and the passion's there. It's not because I have to. Sometimes I get confused. I look at kickboxing events and then sometimes they say K1 event even though it's not in the K1 promotion. So why do they say K1? Because K1's the, it's the MMA. It's not like, do you know what I mean? So it's not just K1. Like K, so K1's like the, the art, the sport, it's the, the, promotion. the style. It's the style of kickboxing. So I, I see. So what's what's the difference between K1 and the Dutch kickboxing? The Dutch kickboxing again is a different style of, of the, you would say K1. Do you mean it's like it's just so K1's like the rule set, and Dutch is the style. So you've got like the Dutch style, you've got the American style. They've got their own style. Europeans have their own style. But Dutch style just really took off because it was the first one that sort of came through. The kickboxing world, like uh, Raymond Decker, whenever he was fighting in Muay Thai, and then he had the Dutch style to him, and that's what they called it. So when we're doing drills, sometimes we'll do Dutch drills, and it's it's just like the way we train and the way we put the combos together. Like you've got the Muay Thai style, this is the Dutch style. It's a little bit different. So if you said K one event, like you would say K one rule set. Yeah, it's so not a rule set. So it's like K one, like it's just. Again, it's like for so for kickboxing sometimes you no know, it might be above the waist, no leg kicks, stuff, no clinch. K one, it's like you're only like one what uh, clinch with one hand, one knee. No, you're not allowed the elbow, you're not allowed to the double clinch and keep knee in more than once. Do you know what I mean? So what about what about the one that has the knee in it? Because I've seen heaps of K one fights where someone you're allowed, just you're allowed one knee, but you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to double clench and keep going. Like once you I knee, see. some some shows is one clench, some some shows is you're allowed to double clench, but it's still only one knee. You can yeah, you can clench knee break and then clench knee break. That's fine, but you can't clench knee and keep continuing to knee. You're only allowed one knee. What if you knee and then punch and then knee again? Yeah, that's fine. Because there's a break in between it. <laughs> what do you think about that? Is that bullshit? It's mad. It's a bit confusing, like, but... No, it's, it is a bit confusing, like... We were talking about knees. I saw your Instagram. What's your knee injury like right now? How, how's the nah, health going good, now? Bro. Like, both I had two knee injuries. Like, the first one happened in the gym. I had surgery on that. That was a full reconstruction of the LCL ligament. And, no, I took a... Like, fucking nine ten months and then my last fight at fillerway against abdullah my left knee went and the same it was the same type of injury the lcl snapped off the bone but instead of surgery we just rehabbed that and yeah bro it's like it's i've got a good um physio rip secure no my another like my massage and dry needle and stuff lucas is sitting the recovery and then jonathan bailey's my strength coach and between the three of them they made this knee fire again, and though both of them, they're pretty good. Like I'm twisting and turning, and body lock and submissions, and leg locks. I've been caught in leg locks. I'm doing all. I do. It's just like I don't think about it because I've been told it's good. So just have to trust it and go with it. 
What about the twisting and turning components of the knee? What do you do to strengthen that part of the joint? So you work, you work on all the muscles around it, like your hamstring, your glutes, your calves. You know, it's about strengthening all the muscles around it to keep it stable. I see. Okay. Uh, how often do you do cupping? So it depends. Every week I get um, a maintenance service off, like I say, off Lucas Sydney uh, Recovery. And it's either I get the dry needle and massaging and cupping, and it's a wee bits of everything, to be honest, once a week. Um, got all the recovery things I do too, feel good nation, which is the oxygen chamber, the red light. And then recently I've started this, um, it's a girl, Erica, who, she's a PT in the gym. She actually does like, it's a stretching, but it's like a, it's not as a, it's more like a, she stretched the fascia, so it helps like loosen up everything. So... Like I say, bro, 31 now, I mean, I'm selling you, I feel in these years building up. I'm spending more time recovering than I'm training at times. Do you think Darren Till might need to leave MMA, go back to Muay Thai and maybe get a massive contract at one championship and then cash out? I don't know, bro. It's hard. Again, I, I don't think he's a bad fighter. I just, like, he sort of, I don't know. Like, maybe he got pushed too, too soon and then... It's hard to come back from that whenever you're so high up there. Do you know what I mean? I do think maybe that would be a better road for him. Like I think he would make a lot more money um, than he would at MMA now. But um, who knows, bro? Maybe he does them charity or not charity them YouTube fights, and they seem to be paying well, and you know, like things like that. Like you got Mike Perry and Jake Paul and Nate Diaz and that. Don't there's some fun fights there for people that doesn't always have to be um, world champion, do you know what I mean? They chase that, it's not working out, well, fuck, go chase the coin now, do you know what I mean? Let's talk about Mike Perry. What do you think about the BKFC? I love him, bro. I think he's mad. I just think he's sick. No, he's class. Like, I, I, no, I was pretty against bare knuckle boxing at the start. I was just thinking it was very unnecessary, and maybe it is, but do you know what? Like, at the end of the day, these boys are going out there having a scrap, they're getting paid. They're getting paid well with the seams of it, and like, why not? I mean, if they're willing to do it and people are willing to watch it, well, go for it. You know what I mean, do you think BKFC will grow? Um, I don't see it. I mean, I think it did take off pretty quick, and then it seemed to sort of hit a bit of a like there's not as much happening with it. So, who knows? Like I say, maybe if there's a few different big names coming through, like I say, if you get. Darn Till and Mike Perry in there fighting. Like, that's a big fight that'll create a lot of hype and bring a lot of attention to it. <clears throat> you got Chad Mendes on there, Eddie Alvarez. That was a mad fight. But I don't know. It sort of seems to be like the big fight's there and it disappears. And it's out and it disappears. Like, it doesn't on go. I mean, I don't think there's an, enough yet. But who's to say in a couple of years it won't? Because as fighters are getting older, like again, they're not going to be chasing them world titles. They're going to chase some paydays, and you no, know, everyone loves a little scrap that's involved in this. And you no, know, we're not the smartest. That's why we're fighting for a career. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I would have a go. Like to be honest, you would. You yeah. would fight in there. Yeah, I'd have a little go if the money was good enough, bro. I'd have a little crack out of like. Currently, Senchai and Buakau are fighting in the BKFC. I've heard this, yeah, that'd be interesting to see, bro. Who do you have in that fight? Probably Bacal, to be honest, because of the height and size, and there's not like the boxing side of things. 
But if it was Bolkow is uh, yeah. Sorry, go on. If it was tie balls, it could be different because Sanchez is a little machine, like you know what I mean. But the fact that it's boxing, I think maybe Bacal might have the edge on this one. Bacal is definitely my favourite kickboxer out of all of them. Yeah, he was the first um, sort of Muay Thai fighter that I really followed as well. Who's who's your favourite fighter? All time, it's a hard one, bro. And it's it, and like I actually think about this daily. It is so hard to pinpoint because I love different fighters for different things. Like the one, the, the it used to be Lomachenko. Used to be my main man. Like I used to love everything about him. The the way he trained, the the movement, the boxing, and then I think he got beat. I can't remember who he was. He got beat by, and he sort of was a bit of a sore loser. And it sort of I was just like, ah oh, man, don't do that. Just accept it. But uh, Terence Crawford at the minute, he's got my attention. Like I love what he does. I love, you know, the his attitude towards things, and you know, he's a, an exceptional fighter. And you no, know, he's he's someone I'm really sort of trying to follow at the minute and see what he's doing to see if there's anything that I can add into into my life as well. You know? So I'd say Terence Crawford at the minute's my favorite combat sports. Dude, Terence is undefeated, and he keeps on calling out Canelo. What do yeah. you think about that match? Oh, I don't. I honestly don't know, bro. I'm not gonna. Like, Canelo is a monster, and like he smokes most people. But Crawford is based like he is something else. You know what I mean? Just... I personally think like I really like the match. I like the fact that Crawford's pretty fundamental. Like I like the fact that he's a brawler, but still fundamental. Yeah. Canelo, on the other hand, I just feel like he might have the body shots opened. Yeah, he could, but trying to touch Crawford's a dumb thing. I mean, Canelo can, or sorry, Crawford could fucking defensively outdo him and pick him off too, do you know what I mean? And he has got them big shots, but do you know, that, that's maybe a big statement to make, but it could be a bit biased too, because like I say, I'm all, I'm all for Crawford. I love what do you think he does? What do you think he does better than Canelo? Um, like I say, the switch hitting's good. No, the, the switch hitting move, the footwork, it's, it's different gravy. No, I think, like I say, he, he counters well and moves well. Um, Canelo's pressure and the cutting off and big shots is good, but I don't know, it's a good one. But the only thing is, is Canelo has the size of Fanny's for sure. And no, with Crawford, he'll have to move up. And even though if Canelo's coming down, he's still... Still, Crawford's still having to move up, do you know what I mean? So there is that to take in place, but, yeah. Should they ban weight cutting? <sighs> I don't think banning weight cutting should be, because, like, for example, whenever I'm out of camp, you know, I get pretty fat and loaded and, and big, and then when I get in camp, I know where I'm at my best and stuff. And But there's definitely should be different protocols um, there is ways to make it safer like I cut a lot of weight now to get the band on me I won't lie but the same thing I'm not doing that to try and have the size of family this is more for my own discipline and focus I think it's more like the Ricky Hatton don't Ricky Hatton used to blow out and then cut down that's the same as me like band on weight is my weight I just get real like I say lack of discipline outside of camp in the previous times and the lack of focus and, and stuff was making me get so heavy where I was struggling to get down where now it's like I spent the last couple of years growing into filler weight so now I'm like you no know, trying to get by down so they are big but you no know, after I, I, I half a year another half a year of cutting like I should be a bit lower which means it like the cuts won't be as big 
um because i have to drop muscle size and that's the whole aim at the minute so it's so i do think they don't think cut out completely but there is ways that it could be a little bit more safer and put together i mean there's there's weight cut specialists now that help and then they no one should be cutting weight without a weight cut specialist at least these days like there's no excuses when people make miss weight and stuff that's purely on them dude we had whitaker and we had volkanovsky as australian champions they're trying to push jdm in my opinion right now i think they really like his style i think they really like his personality and i think that he's easily branded so I think that they will push him, give him some favourable matchups, and get him to fight for the title. Do you think he's going to be the next Australian to fight for a belt in the UFC? Uh, oh, the next UFC, yeah, I'd say so, bro. Like he's doing, he's backing up what he says too. Again, it comes down to the personality thing, though. Does he have that? Does he have that X factor? Like when he's a champion, is he going to be marketable, sellable? Who? Maybe not. He's a lot. He seems very chill and. Relax. So who knows? Um, you know, it's it's a hard one. Again, I think that's the same as like, uh, you no, know, Josh. Sometimes if I say to him, like, you no, know, he has to be more focal, has to be out there, and it's, he doesn't have to be a dick about things, but you have to be loud and proud, and like people have to either want to watch you get beat or watch you get your head punched in, but they have to want to watch you, and I feel like that's the difference with me. Is like, you no. Know, Either they want to watch me win or watch me get beat, but people will always tune in to watch me, especially because of how much shit I used to talk and you know, how how I have been at the top and then dropped and then coming back. There's a story there. There's, there's interest there. Do you know what I mean? So, I don't know. It's a hard one, bro. I definitely, like I said, it, it all comes down to the personality side, but skill-wise, JDM, I'd love to see him and Ian Gary, bro. Like, I know it's, they're both on the way up, but I think that's a good fight to make. What if they just did that for the belt? They're both slightly going to be up there at one point. If they yeah, I think it's a couple of years away for both of them for be challenging titles. Like, I don't think any of them... you give it, give it like two, three years? Yeah, and and realistically, that would be a good time frame for them too because, no, like two, three years, you, you'd have the likes of Kobe and Usman and them boys sort of like starting to fade off and that. And then you want the new breed coming through, do you know what I mean? At the minute, I so, don't think I don't think either of them can beat Kobe or Leon Edwards or Gilbert Burns or and that's just an opinion. That's not to say they can't. I just don't think that they're at that level just yet, and they don't need to be pushed up there just yet because it'll be like the Sage Northcott and Darren Till stats where they go either too soon, too quick, and then then they, they fall off. Do you know what I mean? So no, give them give them time to build up and no let them create a bit of hype over the next couple of years and take out all the top contenders and then the, once they grow a wee bit and get experience and, and at that level and then go for it. But that's just my opinion. Who, no, that, it means nothing to anybody. Like then they're the boys in there and they're the boys chasing that and the UFC are the ones in charge, not me. So, But I just think you know, if, I, if, I, if I was in Dillard's shoes, what I would do for them guys. I'm going to run you through a hypothetical scenario. So we have Colby versus Leon, right? Colby stylistically has a good probability of beating Leon throughout cardioing him, out-dogging him and wanting it more. And then in the fourth, fifth, steal the rounds and win the decision. Or like, I don't see it. I don't see it finish. I just see him 
voluming him and then winning the belt. Let's say Colby has the belt now, right? Let's yeah. say at the same time Volkanovski wins in the next couple of days, right? Yeah. So if Islam Makachev and Colby Covington are the same weight, because it's been reported yeah. that they're the same weight, but one goes to 170 and one goes to 155, do you think Volk might say to himself, seeing that Colby's the same size as uh, Islam and the grappling exchanges making Volk shorter, right? It's yeah. going to be, it, this will be the shortest opponent and the most, the, the, the person that might have a longer reach than Colby, he'll have a longer reach. He'll be shorter to stuff takedowns and he'll be, have the same weight cut as uh, Makachev, that, that being yeah. Colby. Do you think that if those particular circumstances happen, do you think that Volk can just move up and um, beat him via striking? Your mic's playing up. Your mic's playing up. Can you hear me now? Yes. Size does have a massive part in it at the same time, but then you've got the likes of Volk and that. Size doesn't. Do you know what I mean? If you've got the will and... That you want to go for it, bro. Like, who's to say that it can't happen? Do you know what I mean? Like, look at Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar was walking about at lightweight. Like, he was walking about on weight and he was the lightweight champion. And you had guys cutting down from 80 plus kilos, you know, big guys. And he was like Benson Henderson and you know, Gray Maynard and stuff. And he was putting it on them, too. Do you know what I'm saying? So, who, who's to say he can't, he can't do it, bro? Definitely. And Folk is a, a special athlete. You know, he's, he's a, a different type of fighter. What about the striking between the two? Don't you think uh, that... definitely better striking, like, Kobe, though, and he can be hit as well. It's just, you know, maybe he'd be able to take the shots a lot more, which, you know, would, would play, play a massive part. I feel like if that fight did occur, I feel like when it came to the boxing exchanges, Volk would move out of the way, slip all of his shots. Yeah. And when it came to the kicking range, I think Volk can leg kick Colby far better than, um, you know, other fighters. Fact, hundreds, definitely. I agree. Final question for you. Seeing that you're a Taekwondo practitioner, there's yeah. a fighter that's making his debut on the same card of uh, Volkanovski. I believe it's the first fight of the early prelim, and that's the one-eyed Dagestani guy, Shara Bullet Magomedov, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. If you if you know about the pirate. Yeah. So he does a hook kick. He does a hook kick, and he got a knockout with it. If you watch the clip, yeah. have you seen that, that clip? It's a ginger fella, isn't it? Ginger beard and that. Yeah. Yeah, so have you scary, seen the hook scary, kick? Man. Ages ago, I remember he came on this. Like he, he was out there, yeah. Take a look up. Take after the show. Take a look at it because it's one of the craziest uh, knockouts I've seen. Do you think that more people will utilize the hook kick and that it's an underrated taekwondo technique? Oh, bro, every every kick, punch, knee, elbow is beneficial if you throw at the right time. You know what I mean? Like is the that's all I can say. It'd be timing, skill, if. If it works, it works. Do you know what I mean? Um, but people like, it's, there's no real right. When you think about it, there's no real right and wrong way how you do something. That's your way of doing it. And if it works, it works. That's why I always try and tell my people and defend, like, say, they do a one two and the person throws a hook rather than rolling, blocking, they lean back, they drop their hands. If they lean back, drop their hands, stay safe, they can counter, they can get away. That works. That's, that, that's not to say it doesn't work. It's just, is it safe? 
are you putting yourself in more danger? You know, so, so like say throwing the hook kick, if you can't throw that at the right timing and stuff, you're maybe putting yourself in a bit of danger to be countered there. But it's not to say that it's right or wrong. Do you know what I mean? The reason I bring up the hook kick is that if you have someone like Magomed going for it, the sorry, Shara Bullet going for it, and you have someone, the only other people that have tried to do that particular technique have been Wonderboy, which is a top five striker in MMA history, Conor McGregor, double champion, and Sean O'Malley. They're the three that have really uh, pioneered the hook kick, and now Magomed's, Magomed's going for it and he looks good. Do you think that he has a really good chance of, um, by the way, he's got like 11, 11 and 0, 10 knockouts. Do you think in the predominantly predominantly striking heavy middleweight division, do you think that he does well? Yeah, bro. I've, like I said, I've had a little look at him. I don't see too much, but what I've seen of him, he looks like a scary human being, bro. Like, like he looks scary, but even the way he fights, too, like he's, he's putting boys to bed. That's all we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much, Alan, for coming on the show. Is there any final remarks you want to say to the people at home viewing the podcast? No, that's it. No, thanks for your time. Um, if you're in the Gold Coast next week, come up to Eternal 81. I'm fighting and putting my number one contender spot on the line against Paul Luger because the champion decided to run away and hide for a little bit. Um, so if you're there, if not, it's on UFC Fight Pass. No. Follow my career, whether you like me or you don't like me. Yeah, or you want to watch me win and get my head punched, then either way, I've got a few more years in me yet. You know, let's, let's just keep the ball rolling. Follow Alan on Instagram, link in the description, and follow Anything Combat on Spotify. See you guys next time. Bye, man.